Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. I'm so excited that you are here today, that you made it. Uh, because today's gonna be a great day in church. And today I'm, I'm excited to introduce you uh, to a very dear friend, Pastor Beth Cunningham. And Pastor Beth is here uh, from Church of the Highlands, our other sending church from Birmingham, Alabama, that is family to us in every way. We would not be where we are today as a church without their influence in our life and their support throughout this whole process. And Pastor Beth, uh, she oversees kids ministry at Church of the Highlands. Now, some of you are like, oh, she's a kids pastor, that's cool. Uh, How many campuses are there? 21 21 campuses. So she oversees like the generation of children all around that area. And so uh, some of you are like, oh, she just does, you know, like goldfish and teaches a Jesus. No, no, like legit uh, is not only influencing like so many in that state and region, but really like impacting children's ministry across the globe. And so not only is she, I believe, I believe the best kids pastor in the world. I believe that. I wouldn't say that unless I'm in it, Uh, but she's also one of the best leaders in the world. And uh, she can preach the paint off of these walls. In fact, Sam, go ahead and book it right now. Go ahead and get it to where we have painters come in after this. I mean, get ready. It's going to be amazing. Um, and so she's an amazing mom, uh, amazing wife, and a very dear friend. And so, church, can we stand to our feet, clap our hands, and give a big, 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 big welcome to Pastor Beth Cunningham. Y'all be seated. I just said y'all. I am so from Mississippi. Can you tell? Y'all. It only comes out sometimes. Um, Yeah, born and bred in Mississippi, graduated from the great Louisiana State University. I now live in Alabama, and some of you are probably judging me. You're like, oh, poor her. That's state number 47, 48, 49, maybe Arkansas is at the bottom. I don't know. Your southern friend is here today. I will will just try to keep my y'alls to a minimum, and hopefully you'll understand the words coming out of my mouth in Jesus' name. I am so honored to be here, and I just want to um, pause for a moment and just say how much I genuinely love your pastors, um, and, I, and I, I think I think it's important to know that it's, it takes people of great faith um, to have a dream in their heart. Like a lot of us have God dreams in our hearts, but then to be willing to step out in faith and and and, and walk into a place um, and and to see God birth something and and. Church planners are heroes, in my opinion, but, but let me just say this about these two, about Brian and Heather. They're the most authentic, humble, God-loving, God-people. I mean, seriously, there's no one in the world like them. And would you do me a favor and honor your pastors for the incredible um, obedience to see Queen City? So, like, I'm so honored. I can't believe I get to be here on week 59. What? It's incredible. And I'm, I'm standing here, actually, on behalf of— um, two people. One would be my senior pastor, Chris Hodges. I I love him so dearly, and he loves this house and loves your pastor, and I'm so thankful that he's allowed me to be here today. I also stand here on behalf of my husband, Sean. He's awesome. We've been married for 20, 
Okay, when you've been married over 20 years, sometimes you got to do the math. But 23 years, I married my high school sweetheart, which is awesome because when he makes fun of the way I drive, I'm like, dude, you taught me how. Right? Movie theater parking lot, 1989, I remember, okay? And so, uh, on behalf of our family, we're so excited to be here. I have a daughter who's 21 and just got married, and my son is 18. He's a, you know, he's a hot mess. He's awesome. Um, and, And on behalf of the Cunningham family, thank you for allowing us. This feels like family. Um, I want to talk with you today um, about something I'm working through all the time, and that is, hi, my name is Beth, I'm 44, and I have issues, <laughs> right? I've got issues. I've got some issues in my life. I've got some things I'm dealing with. A current issue, empty nest syndrome, right? I go upstairs to my daughter's room, and there's like nothing there. So weird. Um, other issue is the fact that my son's going to graduate from high school, and then I'm really worried that I'm trying to like lock him down and convince him to stay home. Come on, y'all. There's this issue with this line on my face that when I wake up in the morning from my pillow, it doesn't go away. Like these are these are things. These are real life things. That are, that are in front of me all the time. I've got issues. I don't know if any of you have children and you remember the horrifying moment when your kids actually learned what you were saying and they could repeat it. Okay, so I have this vivid memory of my daughter in the backseat of the car on the way to church, by the way, as my husband and I were having a conversation about a friend for the sake of anonymity, I'm going to call him Bob. And we're talking in the car about how Bob is working through these issues. And I said, Bob just needs to deal with this issue. And then out of the back seat, the little parrot says, Bob has issues? (gasps) And there's this moment when I realize that my two-year-old is going to go up to Bob and say, Mom says you have issues. (laughs) So Sean and I quickly tried to recover. Oh, no, Rachel, Mommy has issues. Mommy has issues? No, Daddy has issues. Daddy has issues? All God's children have issues. And so we went around our house for a month talking about Mimi's issues, Danda's issues, everybody's got issues. We all have issues. Now the interesting thing is what happens when those issues come in and they oftentimes can become bigger than our God in our eyes. And so I wanted to talk to you today about this thing that I'm always reminding myself of is that my purpose is bigger than my issues. My purpose, it's bigger than my issue. Now, I'm a children's pastor, so we're going to go simple. In her amazing book, The Jesus Storybook Bible, yes, I'm fixing to quote a storybook Bible to you, Sally Lloyd-Jones writes this so beautifully. We're in the Garden of Eden. Y'all know the story. And she writes that the snake slithered silently up to Eve and whispered, does God love you? Poor you, just eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit, and you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Well, suddenly Eve wondered, does God really love me? So she took the fruit and ate some, and Adam ate some too, and a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. And my friends, I'm I'm here today to remind you that it doesn't matter if we're four or 14 or 40, 
the enemy still comes with the same line. And he wants to use the issues of your life to convince you that perhaps God's not good. Perhaps he's not for me. Perhaps he doesn't know what's best. And I thank God today for the people who are serving in Queen City Kids. I thank God that this is a house that's committed to raising up the next generation. 3 John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And what is the truth today? That we serve a good God who made us, who loves us, who sent his son Jesus to reconcile us to him. And not only that, but he has a purpose and a plan for our life and how easy it is for all of us to get excited about that when we think about our children. But sometimes in our own selves, in our own lives, we stop believing that. So I have issues and I have a purpose. And what I have come to determine is this actually the steps I take each day determine if I live a life of purpose or in my issues. It's the steps I take because the issues are going to be there. I don't know what issue you're facing. You know, I don't know if you're here today and, and you have a parent, you know, who's facing a, a, a chronic health issue and, and that's an issue in your life. I don't know if you're here today and you've got a child who has a significant learning issue or an impairment and you wonder what the future will look like for that child. I don't know if you're here today and someone has said to you, you're not called to do that or you can't become that. And, that, and those words are, can scream in your ear. I don't know if you're here today and you've been diagnosed with something that doctors say is incurable. I don't know if you're here today and you're carrying the pain and the concern for a loved one who has gone through unimaginable loss. You see, those are my issues just in the last year. And what I know that I know that I know is that the God I know and the God I love and the God I've served, that there is purpose in that pain and that my purpose is bigger than my issues. So I want to share with you today, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, verse 21, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I want to share with you today my personal hero in the scripture. Um, she is my hero. She is a woman who the Bible actually does not even give her a name. She is an unnamed woman. In fact, we only know her by her issue. She is known as the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood. Imagine that. No name, only defined by her problem. You see, there's this woman in Scripture who was stricken with a chronic ailment. And that ailment caused her to be completely separated from society, to be completely separated from her purpose, to be a reject in every way. And we pick up her story in the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 21. 
When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and will live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So I'm thinking about this woman with the issue of blood, and she's away in her house, completely rejected from society, unable to interact with other people, and yet somehow she hears that Jesus the rabbi, who is working miracles, is coming into her village. And because of this great commotion, we can imagine that here Jairus, this leader in the synagogue, his daughter is dying, and a crowd has surrounded Jesus, and Jairus is pleading for his daughter's life. And you can see this picture where this woman has a decision to make. In faith, she wants to get to Jesus. But yet, I would argue that I think perhaps one of the first issues she had to overcome in her heart, because remember, life is not about my circumstances as much as it's about the decisions that are going on in my heart. The first issue we all have to come to grips with when it comes to walking in our purpose is the issue of comparison. The issue is comparison. Surely it must have dawned on her that day, who am I? Who am I to try to get to this man named Jesus? Jairus is the VIP. He is a very important person. He is worthy as a synagogue leader to be surrounded by Jesus. Of course, Jesus is not going to stop what he's doing on his way to heal this religious leader's daughter. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like we can be trapped with these thoughts that say, surely God hears their prayers more than mine. If I were like them, I would do more, I would be better. I don't know about you, but from the time I was six until I was 15, I was not a church kid. My parents took me to church at an early age. They're amazing. But my dad's job, there were multiple transfers, and we just never got back into church. And as an older teen, when I met Jesus, oftentimes I would wonder, I don't know the Bible like other people. Who am I, God, that you would want to use me? And so we say, I'm not like them, and what I'm doing oftentimes doesn't feel significant. You know, our egos, our self-image, that part of ourself that wants to be significant can be so big. And the ego tends to only know itself by comparison, feeding the temptation towards self-rejection when life does not live up to what we see on social media. And comparison will come in and it will want to take your purpose from you. I love this quote. The Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung said, the world will ask you who you are. And if you don't know, the world will tell you. You know, my daughter is a swimmer. And so we grew up at a lot of swim meets. And I don't know about you parents who do children that do individual sports, but it's something. You sit all day at a swim meet for four hours to watch your child's 90 seconds of glory. So I spent a lot of time around chlorine and pools. And when my daughter first started swimming, she's very competitive. And I did not understand the sport. Clueless. 
clueless. And we would sit there and she would swim her little race and she would get out and she would get a blue ribbon and my husband and I would just be overjoyed and she would be fiery mad. I'm like, what is wrong with you, child? You just won the race. But I had some things to learn about the sport of swimming. You see, my daughter could win a race and still be very upset because in swimming, it doesn't matter that you beat the person next to you. The real athlete's goal is that they beat their best time. And I think how oftentimes in my life, and God's assigned me to a lane, and he's asking me to go and to push and to go, and yet I'm so preoccupied by the person on my right or left, and he's just asking for my very best. He's just asking for our very best. But comparison will come in and it will keep us from walking in our purpose. And so we have a decision to make, that we will not be defined by others, that we have to choose to be defined by our Creator. How do we do this? How do we get rid of this, ugh, this lie of comparison? And the only thing I can think of is that we have to learn to see what God sees. Really, when you think about it, what is significant? What makes a significant life? Do you know that this is all we have, like this moment right now, this spouse, these children, the job you're in, this is where God has you. And so often I think to myself, my purpose is looking me directly in the face, but I'm not even seeing it. When I look at my spouse, do I see the person who maybe sometimes leaves their clothes on the floor, or do I see the very person that God is using to help mold me into His image? Come on, I can't hide my junk from Him. When we look at our children, do we see the most lasting, eternal legacy that we get to help shape and mold, or do I see piles of laundry? When I look at my coworkers. Do I see the fact that God's given us these relationships to steward? What do we see? Because when I see what He sees, everything changes. I stop looking to my right. I stop looking to my left. I understand that God has a purpose for me when I just get His eyes. Now, I lead a small group, and for some of you, um, you know, you maybe haven't stepped out in faith yet to lead a group. Let me tell you about my group. I lead a small group with moms and babies. We sit on the floor and sing Itsy Bitsy Spider and Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars. And you said you couldn't lead a small group. You thought, I don't know enough Bible. Come on, I'm living proof. Now, I have been leading this small group for almost 13 years. I love it. And there is this moment in my small group where I'm sitting on the floor with these little people. And they're like a year old. And I hold a mirror to each child's face. And I sing, God loves Jordan, yes, he does. God loves Jordan, yes, he does. God made Jordan just this way, and he loves him every day. And there's a moment, if I will remember to see what God sees, that is, you can't convince me that that's not the most significant thing that I do all week long. Like right now, as we're sitting in this auditorium, there are people serving our children. And you can't convince me that what they're doing, heaven's not going to talk about it. We got to see what God sees. You know, I wish you could meet my husband. He's amazing. He's like a lineman. Come on, somebody. A lineman taking care of power lines and people. He leads teams now of, of these linemen. We always pray to God. They all stay safe and alive. Come on. And, but if you, could, if you could see what God sees about him, you would think this is an unassuming man who works for the power company. But when I look at him, when God looks at him, he sees 
the first person in his family to not be divorced on, on both sides going back three generations. He sees the first person in his family to not be bound by addiction going back three generations. He sees the first person in his family going back and not passing on a spirit of abuse to his children going back three generations. I'm here today to tell you, stop looking to your right, stop looking to your left, be faithful in what God's calling you to do. Your life is making a difference. You've got to see what God sees. Pick it up in verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. I love this woman. She never gave up. 12 years, 12 years she suffered and yet kept trying, never giving up. And I think the second issue that can sometimes try to steal my purpose from me, and I'll be the first to say this is my issue, it's the issue of comfort. Come on, somebody. I like my issues sometimes. I want to sit in them. I don't want to risk it. I, I, I want to stay maybe a little offended because it's easier than having a difficult conversation. I don't want to step out and, and, and start a small group because, my goodness, what if no one shows? Come on. We like to be comfortable. And sometimes comfort will keep us from our calling. So I get comfortable with my issues. At least I know what I'm dealing with and I feel in control. And I love this woman because she literally risked her life to get to Jesus that day. This is so hard for us to understand. But in that time, in that place, that issue she was carrying, that physical ailment in her body was literally keeping her from humanity. In fact, if she were to walk in the crowd that day and she brushed against a person, they would be declared unclean. And in that moment with Jairus, the very important person's daughter needing to be healed and a crowd following to see what Jesus was doing, everyone in that town would have known her. They would have known her issue. And the fact that she was willing to go into that crowd, she was risking her life. And I think, how often do I so badly just want to be comfortable that I'm not willing necessarily to be obedient to that which God's asking me to do? So the question I ask myself is, am I willing to push through uncertainty because I am certain of Him? And I have to say no to fear, and I have to choose to act in faith. Now, the interesting thing about faith is we can have faith, we believe, but then oftentimes my actions aren't stepping out like I do believe. Anybody else? Right? It takes us acting in faith. And when we act in faith, it is saying no to comfort. And I've found so many times in my life, it's the little things. It's like, it's like I'm acting in faith when I choose to have an intentional conversation with the lady who's slicing my turkey at the deli. And I try to say, I'm going to bless her in Jesus' name. And I believe in my spirit that God's doing something in her life. I'm acting in faith when I choose to cry out to God and ask him to meet me in my mess because I believe that he actually hears me. 
I'm acting in faith when I choose to pick up the phone and call someone and repent or begin the steps of reconciling a relationship even though I don't know what the outcome will be. Comfort wants to take our calling. And God is asking us to be a people who step out in faith. You know, I love today is step two, discover your design. I don't know about you, but my kids would fight. Come on, y'all. Like, nobody, only my children. Okay, so when they were little, my son, who's the, who's the baby, his favorite first expression, the first complete sentence I remember him saying is, Rachel, you are not the goss of me. He couldn't say bees. So you are not the goss of me. You are not the boss of me. And so they would get in these little arguments. And one time he refused to be one-upped by his sister. And she was making a statement that she was the firstborn, which she was. But he refused to accept this as reality. He said, no, you're not. She said, Tyler, yes, I am. He's probably three years old. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And then he, she said, Tyler, I was born first. And he said, no, you were not. And then he looked at her and he said, I was in God's mind. <laughs> now, I laughed, but I thought, how profound a statement. I was in God's mind. Church, I'm here to remind you today, you were in God's mind. He shaped you. He fashioned you. He formed you. He decided to bring you to planet Earth at this time, in this moment, in this church. He wants to partner with you in your life. Not only to be your Lord and Savior, but to be his hands and feet. And he's asking me today, and he's asking you today, am I willing to set aside comfort to pursue that purpose, to pursue that calling? I'm embarrassed to say this, but I took my family to a, a birthday dinner. We had my mom and dad with us a couple of years ago, and we had had a nice lunch, and we were leaving, and we're in the parking lot, and we're parked next to a car where a woman is visibly sobbing, visibly sobbing, and she is having a complete come apart. My husband notices, he said, Beth, I think you need to go check on that woman. I'm like, no, I, you know, I don't have time for that. You know, mom and dad are in the car. I need to get my parents home. Come on, y'all. He said, no, Beth, I really think you need to go. And I said, hey, Sean, mom and dad need to get home. And then from the back of the car, I hear my father, Beth, I think you need to check on that woman. I'm like, I may be 40-something years old, but daddy has spoken, right? <laughs> so I get out of the car, and I go tap on this woman's window. And if I'm honest, these are all the uncomfortable thoughts going through my mind. My parents are going to be irritated. I'm going to be stuck here for an hour. This woman may be crazy. She may shoot me. I mean, all the thoughts. You know how it is? Like, all the thoughts. And I knocked on her window, and she rolled it down. I said, ma'am, are you okay? And she starts just sobbing, and I, and I got to share the gospel with her. I got to pray with her. I got to invite her to church. I don't know how her story ended. But what I do know is that my desire to be comfortable that day almost kept me from being the hands and feet of Jesus. See, it doesn't take much. We just have to see what he sees, and we just have to act in faith. Let's pick it back up to my, my lady. Verse 30. 
At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. She told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You know, I think the third issue that that can take me out sometimes from my purpose is the issue of condemnation. You see, I disqualify myself because of my past or sometimes my current issues and how she must have felt knowing that she had reached out and grabbed hold of him. And the scripture told us that she knew that she was healed. And yet Jesus stopped everything and asked, who touched me? And she had a decision that moment to make. Am I going to be stand up and say, it was me. It was me, Jesus, in all of my shame, in all of my regret, in all of my past decisions, in that sin, in that issue. And yet she chose to identify herself. You know, the interesting thing is that when she reached out and touched him, Jesus himself should have been declared unclean, and yet he was no ordinary rabbi. He was no ordinary miracle worker. In fact, he looked at her and he called her daughter. I'm here today to share with you the good news that it doesn't matter what condemnation says to you about your past, about your sin, about your shame. The moment we confess it and we grab hold of Jesus, not only did he heal her body, he told her who she was. She who had no name, daughter. Daughter. You see, in that moment when she professed, it was me. She took his authority, his identity, his purity, his status. I am here today to remind you, church, his clean makes me clean. His clean. I love Isaiah 118. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. Let's settle this. So we've chosen, I've chosen that when the voice of condemnation comes, I have chosen to say no to shame and yes to freedom. You can be free today. You can be free. And I, I'm so reminded as a Christian how much I too need the gospel. That I'm going to grab hold and I'm going to say, yes, Jesus, I need you. And freedom comes. You know, I, um, I mentioned earlier about, you know, that diagnosis that the doctors say is incurable. It was two years ago this month that I was sitting in my den 
and I was, I don't know if any of you have worn glasses before, but glasses people will understand this. You know how you cover one eye to check it, then you cover the other? Come on. And I was having that moment where I'm like, I think my vision is getting a little blurry again. I've had corrective surgery, so I remember what it's like, but like these eyes have been cut up on on a few times. I should know how to see, right? I thought, okay, it's the 43 syndrome. I probably need to get some bifocals. So one night I was home and I covered my my left eye and I thought, okay, my right eye, yeah, we're good. I go to cover my right eye and I'm looking out at my left and y'all, I saw nothing. I saw nothing. I had a a slight bit of peripheral vision on, on, on the far left side, but essentially I had gone blind and not known it. So I go to these multiple doctors and multiple tests, and I learned that I've been diagnosed with this very rare freak eye disease where some point as a child, I got these spots on the back of my eye, and even more rare, um, those, those spots will burst and cause blindness. They don't know why it happens. They don't know how to cure it, and, and essentially, I'm, I've lost sight. Well, now the problem is I have these spots on, on my good eye as well. And I remember sitting in doctor's offices and hearing those reports, and and honestly, in the beginning, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what God sees. I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. And I did for about a day or two. And then, I don't know about y'all, anybody ever sat down? I sat down. My husband said I laid down. I actually went to the bed. <laughs> I went to the bed for about two days. And these were the thoughts in my brain. These are the issues in my brain. Will I see my daughter on her wedding day? When my grandchildren were born, when they're born, will I, will I be able to see what they look like? God, am I going to be able to do the things you've called me to do? And I'll never forget my husband coming into the room that day. And he said, I want you to let me know when you decide to remember who you are and who your God is. Come find me. And I really wanted to hit him. (laughs) But let me just say this about our issues. At the end of the day, I have to choose to believe that I am who he says I am and that he is who he says he is, that he has bought my life, that he has paid a price, that he's healing me, that he has a plan and a purpose even in the middle of our pain. So today, as, as, as we just stop for a second, I would ask you, church, to consider what is God saying to you today about your purpose? Maybe you're sitting here today, and it's, it's time to go back and say, you know what, I need to relook at my life. I need, to, I need to see what God sees when he looks at this gift of my life that he's given me. Or maybe you're like me. And it's time to act in faith, that there is something that God has put on your heart to do, and you've been hesitant to do it, and today is the day we're going to step into that. Or maybe you're here today, and you have been carrying the weight of sin and shame, and just like that woman with the issue of blood, it's time to lean in and take hold of that which only Jesus can give you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to take a minute and pray. What is God showing you? What is he showing you? Because I know this, my purpose is bigger 
than my issues. And God is waiting on me. And I believe he's waiting on you to be like that woman and take those steps toward Jesus. Now I'm not unaware that there are people in this room who perhaps you've heard this message and maybe you're here today and you did not know that you serve a good God in heaven who loved you so much that he sent his perfect son to earth to live a perfect life, to choose to die on a cross, who was raised again and who did all of that so that he could have a relationship with you. He actually wants to look at you and call you son and call you daughter. But that happens when we invite him in, just like that woman when we reach out and take hold of him. So if you're here today and you're saying, Beth, I know that's me. Like I need to respond to Jesus. Would you just raise your hand in faith and say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna come back to Jesus. I see your hands. And more importantly, God sees them. And I'd love for us just to pray this prayer together. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. I confess to you today, God, that I'm a sinner and I am desperate for a savior. So Jesus, I would ask that you would come into my life be Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit. I commit my life to serving you, to loving you. Thank you for making me new. Thank you for calling me yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Queen City, can you give a round of applause for those who just made the most important decision of their life? Come on, heaven's rejoicing, heaven's rejoicing. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at Queen City People. 